That was wonderful. I, I um, just came back absolutely full. Uh, just uh, everything that the Lord had done within the team itself and also in the fulfillment of all the things that were accomplished along the way as well as there at Casa Esperanza and even ministering uh, to the host of the guest house that we stayed in, uh, which was pretty close to our workplace, our work site. Uh, and so that was truly wonderful. The whole way, uh, thank you for your prayers, um, for traveling mercies, everything. Uh, it, it went very well. Very, very well. And so we give glory to God. Yeah. In fact, even on, uh, at the border. So it didn't take us very long to cross, a little over two hours. Um, uh, one, one group. So we ended up getting split up five vehicles. I won't tell you how, but <clears throat> five. Vehicles. So, so two, uh, were at one border crossing in San Ysidro and, uh, was it two, three, three and one, was it two San Ysidro? No, I'm forgetting two San Ysidro. Three went to, uh, Otay Mesa. And so Again, how we got there, <laughs> that was all interesting. But what's incredible is that we all crossed both locations at almost the same time. So the Lord orchestrated it all. That's, that's all I have to say. And I, I'm thankful it didn't take us six hours to cross. Because sometimes it has taken us like anywhere from four to six hours, four on the minimum, like on the short side, but more like six and uh, on the lengthier side. So anyway, thank you for your prayers. We all participated in that and all glory to God. It was truly wonderful. I'm looking forward to the next uh, time that we go to Mexico to minister. And, and I pray as the Lord would stir your heart that you would participate in that, that you would get to experience uh, what we've seen um, accomplished in Mexico. Um, you know, in some of the announcements, um, just uh, the whole Lifehouse Theater and the Hiding Place, that is an awesome place. So if you have not seen the Hiding Place, uh, especially if you like theater or you've never been um, to a, a, a live um, dramatic rendition of some of these books, uh, I would encourage you to sign up and go. Uh, if you're not familiar with the Lifehouse Theater, it's located in Redlands, and it's been around for quite some time. Uh, it's ministry. I would encourage you to look it up and, and check it out, but um, get signed up. You know, this is, it's, we're focusing on the youth, but we're also opening it up to the whole church. It's a, it's a family event, so that's us, right? So I would encourage you to... Uh, uh, to go. And, uh, and if you don't know any of the names that Modesto rattled off, um, then make sure you just make your way to the back information table. And I'm sure someone will point you in the right direction or we'll just get you signed up for it, whatever it was that was signed up, uh, was announced. And so we have that. But I'm excited to continue our, our study in the Gospel of Luke. We're in Luke chapter 10. Uh, so please turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 10. The portion that we're covering this morning are verses 1 through 12. The title of this morning's message is Names Written in Heaven. Names Written in Heaven. For that is the focus and the desire of Jesus and the focus really that Jesus is teaching his disciples to have um, in how to conduct themselves, how to respond as they're going and ministering and uh, sharing, um, spreading the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so we're going to learn about that. And so the emphasis is what in how it is that Jesus instructs his disciples to go into the harvest. For the harvest is plentiful, he says, but the laborers are few. And so he asked them to pray that the Lord of the harvest 
would send out more laborers into the harvest. And I pray that that would be you and I. So let's begin by reading in Luke chapter 10, verse 1. It says, After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them on ahead of him, two by two, into every town and place where he himself was about to go. And he said to them, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Go your way. Behold, I am sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. Carry no money bag, no knapsack, no sandals, and greet no one on the road. Whatever house you enter, first say, Peace be to this house. And if a son of peace is there, your peace will rest upon him. But if not, it will return to you. And remain in the same house, eating and drinking what they provide, for the laborer deserves his wages. Do not go from house to house. Whenever you enter a town and they receive you, eat what is set before you. Heal the sick in it and say to them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. But whenever you enter a town and they do not receive you, go into its streets and say, Even the dust of your town that clings to our feet we wipe off against you. Nevertheless, know this, that the kingdom of God has come near. I tell you, it will be more bearable on that day for Sodom than for that town. Father, as we consider your word and the instructions that you are giving in this moment to your disciples to go as you send them out to prepare the hearts of people for you. We ask, Lord, that the Holy Spirit, as you send him out, would prepare our hearts to receive your word. That, Lord, we may reflect an obedience to you and a love for you through that obedience that reflects a response to what we are hearing this morning. Father, if there is anything that is, as has already been spoken, a distraction. Lord, even serving as an excuse for us why it is that we are not engaging in furthering the gospel of Jesus Christ as we have come to know it personally in salvation in Jesus Christ by grace through faith. In him. Lord, let us repent of those things. Help us to understand how it is that as those disciples were being trained up, so it is that you desire that we would be trained up as well. The urgency, Lord, is set before us. As we have been reminded this morning, even as we prepared for communion. That we know that you are returning for your bride, the church. Oh, Lord Jesus. If you do, if you do not tarry, and in our lifetime you rapture us to be with you, we will see you in all of your glory in the clouds. And yet you tell us, Lord, to be prepared to be ready, to be steadfast, to be strong in you, to be about our Father's business, to have our our lamps full of oil, that is, with your Spirit, to have our hands to the plow, making disciples and teaching them all that you have commanded us in your word. And so help us, Lord, to... So, Lord, to heed those words, Lord, to have a sense of urgency. Not being overwhelmed with the cares of this world, but being focused on you. Relying on you, trusting in you, walking with you with great joy, with clarity of mind and heart. Being led by your spirit, regardless of the circumstances that we find ourselves in. And so, Father, speak to us this morning. Help us to understand what we have before us. And help us to be kingdom-minded. Lord, that we would have, first and foremost, 
Lord, the desire as we have our names written in heaven for others to have their names written in heaven as well. And so, Father, thank you for this moment. We ask your blessing and we pray this in Jesus' name. And all of God's people said, Amen. Amen. You know, we've come to the point in the gospel of of Luke where we have a recorded mission of the 72 disciples that Jesus sent out. There is no mention of where they went or the length of time that they spent on this mission. But rather, Dr. Luke focuses on what Jesus said to them. Jesus' description of the dangers of what he was sending them into. How they were to go into it. What to expect. What work they were entering into. And how they were to respond to the people. According to how the people responded to them. You see, Jesus was sending these 72 disciples into his harvest. Luke did not focus on the disciples, and this is what we ought to take note of also, what he didn't focus on. Luke did not focus on the disciples' personal and detailed experiences, rather on what Jesus was sending them to do and how to conduct themselves. You see, it was all about the mission and Jesus' purpose for sending them. Keep that in mind because you and I deal with things on a daily. We have concerns. We have responsibilities. We have physical ailments. We have financial issues that we need to deal with. Those things are not the things that are detailed in Scripture for us to focus on. But in spite of those things and through those things that we stay on mission. That we keep in mind and keep before us the reason why Jesus sends us out as well today. Just as he did the 72 disciples. Keep in mind that the sending of the 72 disciples was preceded by the interaction, this, this uh, uh, discussion that Jesus had with the three people he addressed in Luke chapter 9, verses 57 through 62. The cost of following Jesus. He hardly focuses on coddling the person who desires to follow him. But rather, Jesus gets straight to the point of what it would be like to actually walk with him. As we ask for God to make it convenient, for God to make it comfortable, for us to make it easy. He says, no, it will not be comfortable. It will not be convenient. It will not be easy. And yet, child, stay focused. Stay on mission. Do not be distracted. Do what I've sent you out to do. Accomplish that. The first man, as we remember the discussion that he had with these three people, the first man told Jesus that he would follow him wherever he went. He he was so willing to follow him. But Jesus responded to him and told him, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Oh, if you thought that Jesus would tell His disciples, oh, you follow me and it'll be easy street. It'll be easy peasy. Everything will be fine and dandy. You'll be comfortable. And no, right from the get go, he says, no, 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 no. Hey, listen, foxes, well, they have holes to go into. Oh, the birds of the air, they have these nests that they can lay in and rest for the night. But the son of man... Oh, he has nowhere to lay his head. Are you still so willing to follow me? And it's not that Jesus did not desire for this man to follow him, but that he would count the cost. And is Jesus worth 
following, even if it meant that we ourselves would be put into a position of having nowhere to lay our heads. The second man was called by Jesus, telling this man to follow him. But this man responded, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. To this, Jesus responded by saying, leave the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. You could say that this was lacking in compassion. Why is it that Jesus would tell this man, respond to this man in such a way? And in fact, we know that Jesus is calling him. he was supposed to be kind and gentle and gracious. That doesn't seem to be those things. The third man, like the first, told Jesus that he would follow him. Saying, I will follow you, Lord, but let me first say farewell to those at my home. And to this, Jesus said, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. Oh, these are important things to consider ourselves. You see, Jesus wanted them all to know what he required of the disciple. Anything short of complete devotion to him and to his will would deem them unfit. Unfit. Are you willing to be uncomfortable and suffer personally in your walk with Jesus? Oftentimes, that's what we focus on, though. When we're uncomfortable. Do we talk about the Lord's strength or, we talk, or do we talk about how uncomfortable we are? Are you willing to put away your own desires for the sake of proclaiming the kingdom of God? Lord, I want it my way. (laughs) If you give it to me the way I want it, then I'll follow you. But he's asking you, are you willing to do it his way? Whatever that looks like. Are you willing to put away your own desires? Willing. Are you willing to? Thirdly, will you forsake the world to serve your Lord and Savior? You see, when a person chooses to be a living sacrifice, completely devoted and committed to him and his mission, his mission, that person soon realizes that although there are sacrifices, God will still have them tend to an ailing parent. To interact with those of their home. But it will be with the mind and heart. That are set on fulfilling Jesus' mission. Whether it's with family. Friends. Or mistering to an ailing family member. That needs your care. You see it's not either or. It's not I will put you on hold Lord. While I go tend to whatever it is. It's both. Jesus requires of his disciples that they be on mission 24-7. Not part-time disciples, but full-time disciples. Completely committed. You see, this, this puts things in a different perspective altogether. For the one who is called to be a follower of Jesus Christ, it puts things com- in, completely in a different Perspective in a different light. Do we consider him in every moment? Do we rely upon him in every circumstance? Is it who you are or what you do? You see, who you are should determine what you do. It's not the other way around. 
Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. It is in the same way that we ought to conduct ourselves in life. It is just who we are. We belong to Christ. We are completely devoted and committed to Him. We are consecrated unto Him. Therefore, we do these things. James talks about this. What he was doing with these disciples, and this is what I want us to focus on, is discipline. That his disciples would learn to be disciplined. And not allow anything to take their focus off heaven and the work of the harvest. By taking their eyes off of Jesus and putting them on their circumstances or the things of the world. Discern and tend to your own needs and responsibilities while furthering the gospel. Again, it's not, and I will repeat this, it's not either or. That's why I do not like the whole list of things. I personally don't. That's my pet peeve. You know, I have issue with that. You know, who's first? God is first. Well, who's second? Our spouse. And well, who's third? It's our family. And I say, flip that on its side. Put God above everything. And put God and the gospel in every place, nook and cranny of your life. We have it all wrong. Because what happens is, when you try and find balance, the only one that can balance it all is is Jesus Christ. When he's above everything, there's balance. It's not that you'll evenly spend your time and focus on everything. At some point in your life, you will focus more on certain things than others. That's just the way it is. But you ought to be wise and mature and discerning when certain areas of your life need more of your attention than at other times. That's part of maturity. That's part of adulthood. And that is part of our walk with the Lord. He wants to be Lord of all, all of the time, not just some of the time. And so it's not either or. Jesus' disciples need to learn how to do both. This is what he's teaching them. Will you stay on mission regardless of your circumstances? Because what Jesus desired above all is that people's names be written in heaven. Imagine, this, this is what he was teaching his disciples to do. Stay on mission. Because what's at stake is the souls, are the souls of people. Are you willing to be part of the labor force that's sent out into the harvest? That you may be used to bring the message of reconciliation, be an ambassador of Christ... To further the gospel and to see people one to Christ? Are you willing to do that? Well, this is what it's going to take. He desires that none perish, but that all reach repentance. But his standard is that all would be disciplined. And the things of God. And never lose focus. Regardless of your circumstances. He desires that they would come to believe in Jesus Christ as Savior. And Jesus was sending his disciples into the harvest field to work his harvest. As we read, we know it's his harvest. He is the Lord of the harvest. And his desire is that they would gather much into the kingdom of heaven. Is that our desire? Is that our zeal? Is that our passion? Is that what we're doing? Romans 12, 1 says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. If you have the New King James Version, it says your reasonable service. In other words, a reasonable response to the 
grace and the forgiveness that you've come to know in Jesus Christ, it's reasonable. It's our spiritual worship. In John chapter 17, verses 16 through 19, Jesus said, They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I, I consecrate myself that they also may be sanctified in truth. And so if we are sanctified, set apart wholly, completely unto him, being devoted to Jesus' will in our lives, we can truly be effective disciples who testify of Jesus wherever we go, in whatever we're doing, and in the midst of whatever circumstances we find ourselves in. doesn't matter. And it could be that your circumstances are actually giving you some uh, privileged exposure that you wouldn't normally have to lead people to Christ? Is that how you're seeing your circumstances, regardless of whatever they are? The Apostle Paul saw it that way. Acts chapter 20, verse 24 says, But I do not count, account my life of any value nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. That's the whole, his, his whole purpose in life. Even if it cost him his life. He said, I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself. Not that he didn't take care of himself as much as he could. But that's not where he put his trust or all of his time or his attention. And he certainly didn't allow his own life to serve as a distraction. To keep him back from testifying to the gospel of the grace of God. Just as Paul had learned, that is who Jesus desires to send. Some more Pauls. That is who he desires to send. That is who Jesus was sending into the harvest to lead people to salvation and to disciple others. That the names of many would be written in heaven. Are you willing? It will not be an easy journey. But I tell you, God's promises are true. And it will be worth it. It will be worth participating in, demonstrating our obedience to him, and participating in the harvest of many souls. So, being sent into the harvest... The question is, as it says in verse 1, after this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them on ahead of him. Two by two, as he sent some, some translations say 70 and others say 72. It's not a contradiction. It's just that half of the ancient manuscripts uh, use 70 and the other 50% to 52 to 48. That's approximately what it is. One has 70 and the other one is 72. Now, I just point this out to you. It doesn't change what we have before us. Um, I'm just sharing what the old manuscripts speak of. It doesn't change the context of what we have before us. But I do point that out so it doesn't serve as a distraction to you. But with this assignment, we know that this work was not limited to the 12 apostles. With the sending out of the 72... But it was extended to others. In fact, Luke writes that these were 72 others. So this group of 72 did not include the original 12. Jesus' great commission said, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Matthew 28, 19, and 20. This was not just for the 12. This was not just for the 72. This is the great commission for all of us. By the way, as we look at this, in order to make disciples, they would need to be evangelized. That is, testified of the good news of Jesus Christ. 
having died for their sins, and ours, the whole world, as we know in John 3.16, declares that as we share with them the gospel of Jesus Christ, they may be one to Christ, and then they may be brought up in Christ, disciple, taught to follow Jesus Christ. And so Jesus sends them out two by two, as we see there. Now, logically, we would think sending them out two by two. Yes, of course, you sent them out two by two because they would mutually support each other. But is that the only reason Jesus sent them out two by two? You could have sent them out just in singles. But there is a theological reason why it was that he sent them out in two. Because in Deuteronomy 19.15 and Numbers 35.30, it says that do not receive a testimony of someone, but by the mouth of two. And so when two witnesses testify of the truth, as they knew in that day, oh, that would determine its validity. And so this is how he sent them. He was training them up. Two need to be in accord. Two need to be in agreement. Two need to go out with the same message. One can speak. The other can say amen. But they're all unified. And they're testifying of the same thing. And this is again in fulfillment of the word. If you remember, John the Baptist was preparing. He was sent out and he was preparing the way for the Lord. But we know that John, because of his testifying of the truth and uh, confronting adultery, was actually beheaded. But that's not where the spreading of the gospel ends. In fact, we have the 12 and we have the 72 and then we have the church that has continued. In the moment, as we see here in Luke chapter 10... We have 72 others who are preparing the way of Jesus. He was sending them out before him. In fact, the expression that is used, sent them on, as we read uh, that uh, he said 72 others and sent them on ahead of him two by two into every town and place where he himself was about to go. The term that he used ahead of him is literally before his face. Now, this is in reference to a couple of verses that we see in the previous chapter. Chapter 9, verses 52 and 53, which say this. And he sent messengers ahead of him who went ahead and entered a village of the Samaritans to make preparations for him. But the people did not receive him because his face was set toward Jerusalem. It was set. In other words... It was fixed. There was nothing that was going to move him, slow him, distract him from fulfilling the Father's will. He has set his face so, as he has set his face, so they have set their face. It is unlikely that Jesus would personally enter into 36 towns as we break it down on his way to Jerusalem. But it could have been that they were there to prepare the people to believe. And that in believing, they would know Jesus personally. They would prepare the way for Jesus Luke 10, verse 16 says, The one who hears you hears me, and the one who rejects you rejects me. And the one who rejects me rejects him who sent me. So as we go, and we are ambassadors of Christ, bringing the message of reconciliation, as people receive and they also reject, we know that they are not rejecting you, they are rejecting him who sent you. And if they reject him who sent you, they're rejecting the one who sent him, the Father. But if they receive you, they receive him. And through him, we'll know the Father. 
So in so doing, this is, this is something that is absolutely significant and something that we ought to take to heart ourselves. What he desired is, is the people would come to know Jesus, the Jesus who is about to go to the cross to be slain for them, that would be raised from the grave and would ascend to heaven, that they would know his resurrection. And in verse 2, he said, and he said to them, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Do you believe that the harvest is plentiful? And why do we always, I mean, why do we focus on the world is so dark? We know that. It's been dark. It was dark in those days too. Did you know that? What is it that we fill our minds with? Is it the onslaught of political news? The onslaught of international news? Everyone is trying to manipulate us to to be swayed to go in their direction. Did you know that? (laughs) No matter what it is, everyone's selling you something. No matter if it's a good or an idea. Everyone is trying to sell you something that you would, that they would gain your attention, they would gain your following, that you would subscribe to them. Amongst that is what the 72 were sent into. In all of that, that's the world that God has sent us into. So we ought to believe the harvest is plentiful. plentiful. Why do we know that? Because there's a bunch of unbelievers out there. There's the harvest. Go get it. Well, there's no one to go and talk to. Really? (laughs) Really? Do you know any unbelievers? You do? A couple. Okay. We all do, right? We all do. So what are we waiting for? Jesus knew, knows today. The world is full of people who are ready to surrender their lives to him and know eternal life. And he chose and he sent his disciples to go into the harvest. Those who were reading the gospel of Luke in that day, soon thereafter, understood that it was much larger than the 72 fact, as Stephen pointed out in Acts chapter 1, Jesus gave the disciples a command oh, to take the gospel to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So when they were reading it, it was, wasn't, this wasn't just for the 72 or the 12. That was for every single disciple that was being made. Go! The harvest is plentiful. The mission field is massive. The mission involves the whole world. Are you willing to go? But first go to your Jerusalem. If you're not faithful there, you're not going to be faithful anywhere else. Listen, you can desire to go out to some other remote place of the world, but I can tell you that if you're not trained up, equipped, and disciplined here, you will not be effective anywhere else. It starts here at home. If you're not willing to serve here, you have no business serving anywhere else, and especially nowhere else in the world because you're not prepared. But there's a whole harvest. And Jesus tells him, Also, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. While the harvest is plentiful, the the laborers are few? Why is that? Well, because of the patent excuses and unpreparedness seen and exemplified in chapter 9, verses 57 through 62. (laughs) 
Jesus had already given them a sampling of the reasons people choose to not enter into the labor of harvesting souls for the kingdom of heaven. That's just a sampling. You choose whatever it is that you that keeps you, whether it distracts you or overwhelms you or completely stops you or causes you to pull your hand back from serving him. You you fill in the blank. George Morrison said this, quote, Can you picture the distress of a farmer when he sees his fields golden with harvest and there are no servants to gather that harvest in? It was such an agony that filled the heart of Jesus as he looked out on his harvest field. Close quote. Oh, the harvest is, is ripe, it's ready, it's plentiful. But he was telling his disciples, the laborers are few. But it doesn't stop there. Because it wasn't for them to wallow in pity or say, oh, well, it's, just all, it's just up to us. He says, no, no, no. Pray. Pray to the Lord of the harvest. Who's that? Pray to Jesus. He's the Lord of the harvest. For him to send out laborers into his harvest. You see, Jesus always desires to send more and more and more people out to the harvest. Not fewer, but more. Not only are we to give ourselves to the furtherance of the gospel, but also to pray for others to be sent out also. But Jesus also warns them. Again, this is all in preparation. This is why you you cannot be a follower of Jesus Christ without there being sacrifices. It's, it's a difficult path and yet one worth taking. Why? Because in the end, we enter into glory. Because he warns them and gives them instructions on how to go about the work of the harvest. Jesus tells them that he is sending them out. As, and, as he, and as he sends them out, he warns them, I send you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. What? You know, in fact, we read there, go your way. Behold, I'm sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. And then he just goes on from there. Uh, Carry no money bag, no knapsack, no sandals. And wait, can you go back to that previous (laughs) statement you made, Jesus? You send us out as what? As lambs in the midst of wolves. Yes, I send you out. And I understand this. This is why Jesus is fully aware of our environment. I send you out. As lambs in the midst of wolves. Listen, it's imperative that a lamb listen to the shepherd. Always. Always have your ear inclined to the shepherd. It's critical. Keep your eyes on him. And do exactly what he tells you to do. For the lamb's own sake, it's important that the lamb would, would listen to and fix his eyes upon the shepherd. Follow his commands and do everything. Why? Because there are great dangers along the path that they were sent to travel and in the work they are sent to do. In Acts chapter 20, the apostle Paul, as he spoke to the elders in Ephesus, Verse 26 says, pay careful, or verse 26, therefore I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all. For I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. In other words, they had no excuses. God had declared to them the whole counsel of God's word. They could not say that they did not know. And so, so he says, I'm innocent of the blood of all. I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock and from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples After them, therefore, be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. 
He laid out the whole gospel. He explained to them exactly what Jesus is warning his disciples as well and was preparing them for. In Jude, verses 3 and 4, Jude writes, Beloved, although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. For certain people have crept in unnoticed, who long ago were designated for this condemnation, ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into sensuality and deny our only Master and Lord, Jesus Christ. Jude was in alignment with the warnings that we hear from Jesus' own lips. In 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 8 and 9, it says, Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. He says, Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself Restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. In other words, all these men were in alignment with what I'm sharing with you this morning. Be disciplined in your faith. Stay on mission. Do not be distracted. Regardless of the circumstances, the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brothers and sisters throughout the whole world. And if you do falter, oh, when you are restored... Just make sure that you are used to restore your brothers and sisters also. Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me, and your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Oh, what an expression! Of this very thing of the Lamb's trust in the shepherd. And so at the same time, we are learning as the disciples were learning in that moment to keep on mission, to have that on the forefront of our minds as he was teaching them to keep the mission of the gospel of Jesus Christ and the furtherance of it. Of it in the forefront of their minds. That among those that Jesus is sending them into are people who are in need of being delivered from their sin. And when Jesus sent the twelve, he told them this, Behold, I am sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves, so be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. Matthew ten sixteen, Which means, as we consider Psalm 23, Even though we walk in the valley of the shadow of death, we will fear no evil. Because Jesus is with us. He guides us in his power and his authority is sufficient for the work that he has sent us into. Let us trust and rely on him. Well, in verses 4 through 8, Jesus gives them specific instructions on uh, what not to take, what also to say and not say. Uh, And what to do as they enter into a house that receives them. As it says in verse 4. Carry no money bag, no knapsack, no sandals. And greet no one on the road. It's interesting. In other words, no distractions. Take nothing and greet no one along the way. Have nothing that will take your focus off the mission. Not material things. Not extra money. If extra money is something that takes your eyes off the Lord, 
then put that off to the side. Don't take it with you. Uh, This is consistent with scripture as we consider the exchange that Jesus had with the rich young ruler in Luke chapter 18. And I would encourage you to go back to Luke chapter 18. As we know that the exchange there, uh, this, this young ruler asked him what it would require for him to know eternal life. So he went through some of the commandments and this man said, yeah, I've kept them all for my youth. And then he said, one thing you still lack, sell all that you have and distribute to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. Well, when he heard these things, he became very sad for he was extremely rich. Jesus, seeing that he had become sad, said how difficult it is for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. For it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Why is that? It's because they're not willing to forsake that to follow the Lord. If it means doing away with everything that I've come to be comfortable in. If it means that I don't get to rest my head on a pillow, but instead on a rock. Because foxes have holes, the birds of the air have nests to rest in, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. If it means doing away with everything and it means losing everything, then no. And he walked away sorrowful. But Jesus said, It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. So those who heard it uh, said, Then who can be saved? But he said, What is impossible with man is possible with God. And then Peter said, See, we have left our homes and followed you. And he said to them, Truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or wife or brothers or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God who will not receive many times more in this time and in the age to come eternal life. No one who has done what he is calling them to do will lose out. Consistent with scripture through and through. And he's saying no distractions, nothing, nothing that will take your focus off mission. Don't get hung up with people who will take you off course along the way or things or money or ideas or any of that. These disciples probably came across not as not being social, perhaps even being rude. You know, they weren't very tolerant. (laughs) They didn't, they didn't just bend to anything. They didn't agree with everything. But Jesus was calling them to do something specific. So are you. So how about us? Are we called to do the same? And the answer is yes, absolutely. We are called to do the same. In fact, in Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 through 33, it says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body, so if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. You have to serve one. And he goes on to saying, this is Jesus speaking. He says, therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns. And yet your heavenly father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you being by being anxious can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? 
But the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. You know that rich young ruler? If we, he would have been willing to surrender everything, more than likely he wouldn't have even have had to give it up. He, he would, because when we understand, you see riches are not a sin. But if you can handle the blessing of wealth, prosperity, of health, and at the same time, stay on mission and keep your eyes on the Lord, oh, then you are a blessed person. You're walking with the Lord. But oftentimes, it's a lot less than that that takes us off course. As they were received into a house, they were to bring a blessing of peace to the home as we consider the 72 as We consider what the Lord is instructing them. A son of peace is a person who is peaceable, quiet, man of good report, an upright man, a man of spiritual integrity. And so if you're received by a man of peace, you just leave your peace there. If not, then it's going to return to you is what Jesus told them. In other words, they were not to stay in just any house. In this also, they were being taught to discern the spirits and to learn to separate themselves from people who are not of good report who lacked integrity. A person who lies is a a liar. A person who steals is a thief. A person lacks integrity. This is the same spiritual discernment that we ought to exercise today. In fact, I, I give you a note, and we won't go there, but 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 14 through 16 tells us to not be unequally yoked. We have to discern the spirits and not be unequally yoked. And this is what they were being taught to do, is to trust in God's provision also and to discern people. What they are provided with is not to be regarded as, uh, as a charity. Um, in other words, the person who's giving is not to be like so lifted up on a pedestal. Oh, you are just something and I am less. No, no, no. Listen, what Jesus was telling him is uh, the laborer is worth his wages. So take that as your provision. And so receive that in that manner. And then as he told them, go and heal, heal the sick in it and say to them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. He was showing them through the healing of the sick the power of God, that as they healed, that this would be an example of the greater power that would be known in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Remember, they were preparing the way for the Lord. Even as you see the power of God within your own life, and you see perhaps people healed, it is not for you to lift someone up in honor because they prayed over someone. No, no, no. It is to show you and prepare your heart for Jesus. To receive him. To trust in him. This power would be an example of the greater power that would be known in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And then in verse 10, Jesus begins the explanation of what it would mean for those towns that reject him. The message of the gospel that they were being sent to proclaim. Their desire, you see, as he explains all of this, should be that this not happen to the towns that they were being sent into. But rather that knowing this, it would give them a sense of urgency to see people get saved and receive the gospel of grace. It's like as if Jesus would tell us, you know, Riverside will be condemned in a pile of ashes If people reject the gospel of Jesus Christ, it's not for us to say, amen. Let it be done. It should give us a sense of urgency to go and proclaim the gospel and for them to receive. And so we see that explained by Jesus in verses 10 through 16, which we'll get into next week. So what is the goal here? We need to ask, what did Jesus send them to do? 
What was required of them? What was Jesus' desire? What was his ultimate desire? And this is what it was. That his disciples would go and prepare people to see Jesus for who he is. And that their names would be written in heaven. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. In fact, verses 23 and 24, it says, Then turning to the disciples, he said privately, Blessed are the eyes that see what you see. For I tell you that many prophets and kings desire to see what you see and did not see it, and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. That's what Jesus desired. That they would fulfill. Because for those who reject Jesus, they remain condemned as they remain in their sin, as we know, as it says in John three sixteen through 18. You don't want to hear what it says in verses 11 and 12, which says, even the dust of your town that clings to our feet we wipe off against you nevertheless know this that the kingdom of god has come near i tell you it will be more bearable on that day for sodom than for that town we, we don't want to hear those words but rather we want to be faithful servants who are disciplined who keep our eyes fixed upon the lord so the question for us in conclusion is will you trust in jesus If you don't already, will you trust in Jesus as your Savior and your Lord? Or are you hard-hearted? Are you still, do you still remain in yourself? Pray that today be the day of salvation for you. If we could stand to our feet, I'm going to ask the worship team to come up. And I'm going to ask Stephen and Modesto to come up now. I know we've just come off a week of prayer and fasting. But I'm going to ask that you would proclaim before everyone, as he calls on us to make a public confession of our faith in him, that if you've never surrendered your life to Jesus Christ, Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and life. No one comes to the Father except through me. There's salvation in no other name and no one else for that. There is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. If we confess with our mouths that Jesus is Lord and believe in our hearts that God raised him from the dead, we shall be saved. For all who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. I, I'm just going to ask you right now because we want to live this out within this church daily, and then take it out. So I'm going to pray, and if there's anyone who is either backslidden, a prodigal, has never surrendered to Jesus Christ, I would ask you, please don't waste time. We are not promised tonight. We're not promised tomorrow. We're not promised the next moment. So if you have business to do with Jesus, do it right now. Come forward. Allow us to pray over you, come alongside you and encourage you in your walk with the Lord. That as you surrender your life to Jesus Christ, that we would be a church that, that rallies around you. This is not a time to be bashful. It's not a time to be ashamed. If we are ashamed of him, he tells us that he will not confess us before the Father. So we ought to confess him at this very moment. If you've in compromise, in whatever way, you don't have to say, because your confession is before the Lord. I would ask you, come forward. We need to be a pure church. We need to be a church that is completely set upon him, united in Christ in one spirit. I would ask that you would come forward. Allow us to pray for you. And if you do have faith in the Lord, 
perhaps you need prayer also because you have not been faithful in going out and being laborers in the harvest field. Allow us to pray over you. That you may, be, may lead others to Christ in his salvation. I pray for a great outpouring of God's spirit. It's not my words. That I desire that would convict your heart, but God's spirit. That his kindness would draw you unto him. That we would be willing to come forward and confess him. Will you do that? Heavenly Father, we we thank you, Lord, for this moment. Oh, Lord, the standard that you set before your disciples and before us today is high. And yet, Lord, you have not relaxed that. You, You call us to the same standards. And why is that? Because we ought to live out 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1, as the Apostle Paul said, imitate me as I imitate Christ. Why? Because we ought to be ambassadors of Christ, representing you, not us. And so help us to be those people who do have spiritual integrity, who walk upright before you in your righteousness, not ours, because we have nothing. Thank you, Lord, that that matters to you. Why? Because people's souls matter to you. That what we say matches what we do. And so, Father, those who have not never come to surrender their life to you, I pray, Lord, that you would move in their heart right now, that your kindness would draw them unto you. That they would confess that you have died for their sins. That you shed your blood on the cross for the forgiveness of their sins. And that they would know their salvation by your grace as they express faith in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. That you would move them to come forward and confess that and allow us to pray and encourage them in their new walk with you. For you promised to give them a new heart and a whole new life with purpose and hope. And I pray for anyone who is in a place of compromise, prodigals, Lord those who are lazy, Lord, in any way. Oh, Lord, that you would convict each one as well. And, Lord, that we would come forth. Lord, that we may be those brothers and sisters that are able to come alongside them and encourage them and be their strength, perhaps when they have none. So, Lord, do a special work this morning by the move of your Spirit. We wait upon you and wait with great confidence in, in that. We praise you and we love you. In Jesus' name.